Bible, would you go ahead and open it up to John's Gospel, chapter 15. We're continuing the series on the secrets of the vine. And uh, if you forgot your Bible, bring it next week. If you don't have one, go get one. If you'd like a free one, there's a, a starter kit. It's a cool thing we have out in the, in the lobby. You can pick it up on your way out. Also, I did want to highlight baptism next week. Um, if, if that's something that you feel like the Lord might be leading you to, um, or maybe you have questions about it, you're not sure, um, just tell us and, and let us know uh, that you have some questions and we can answer them, no pressure. Um, and maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while, maybe uh, you've kind of wandered away a little bit and you're, that you're in a season where you're coming back to Him. Um, by the way, it's not just okay to be baptized again, it's a good thing. It, uh, it's, you know, whenever the Lord is doing something new, I, I know people that have just have been baptized several times, and this is a way to just say, Lord, I am coming and I am cooperating with the new life that you've given me. In 1991, the, um, the Boston Red Sox had, apparently a Red Sox fan, They drafted a young man by the name of Scott Hatterberg to be their new catcher. And uh, in 2001, though, a few years into his trip there in Boston, he uh, ruptured a nerve in his elbow, and it looked like his playing career was over. But to his surprise, someone called him on the phone and offered him a job. It was Billy Bean, who uh, who was then the general manager for the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland A's. And uh, Billy Bean offered Scott Hatterberg a one-year contract to play baseball with one catch. That he wasn't going to be a catcher, but they wanted him to be a first baseman. One big problem, he had never played first base. The clip I'm about to show you here is a scene from the movie Moneyball, which I think received several Academy Award nominations. And what this is is a clubhouse conversation between Scott Hatterberg and slugger David Justice. And understand, Scott Hatterberg has no idea how to play first base. Scotty H. Yo, what's up, DJ? Cooking machine. How <laughs> you liking first base, man? It's, uh, it's coming along, picking it up. You know... Tough transition, but I'm still, I'm feeling starting to feel better with it. Yeah. Yeah. What's your biggest fear? The baseball being hit in my general direction. That's funny. Seriously, what is it? No, seriously, that is. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. I love the honesty. I wonder, what is your greatest fear? You know, I seriously doubt it that when when Hatterberg uh, got that call, well, actually, I seriously doubt it when, when he hurt his arm, that he ever thought he would play baseball, let alone be the first baseman for the athletics. I'm sure people must have advised him to just, you know, 
retire graciously. Don't take on a job that you don't know how to play and humiliate yourself in front of thousands of fans. Just retire gracefully. But he pushed through the fear. And in 2001, when the A's had a historic 19-game winning streak on the line, it was now the 20th game. And they had started that game by just trashing the opponent. 11-0. By the end of the game, it was tied, 11-11. Scott Hatterberg comes to the plate. Swings at a 1-0 pitch. Hits a home run over the right center field wall. Crowd goes nuts. It reminded me about something, and I got to thinking about this. You know, when Scott Hatterberg lost the use of his elbow, something new was developing in him, in his life. He had no idea what it was at the time it happened. And spiritually speaking, that is a lot like what the Lord is saying in John 15 about the illustration of the vine and the branches. Because it's this, that in one season, God cuts something away from us so that something better will grow in its place in the next season. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, thanks for your word. What a blessing it is. Lord, thank you for every person that is here. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I just invite you now to come and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So let's read this. Uh, we read the whole, almost uh, several verses last week. Let's just read the first few verses, actually the first four. And we'll read them together out loud. They should be on your screen. And uh, we'll begin at verse 1. Ready? Go. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. A little review. Last week, if you missed, by the way, you can uh, go ahead online and listen to it if you'd like, the message from last week. But just a quick review. What is the fruit of the vine that Jesus is talking about here? We saw last week two things. One is the fruit is the character of Christ and the works of Christ. And the character of Christ, we saw them illustrated in Galatians uh, chapter 5 and verse 22, where we, we see the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And the, the character of Christ is the flavor of the fruit, right? The works of Christ, that's how God uses the fruit. You know, that's how he, he takes the things in our lives and makes grape jelly out of them. You know, something that tastes good. It's wonderful. It's yummy. It's helpful to other people. Nourishing. And he loves to do that. And just let's get a couple things straight he, just so we understand this metaphor. He says, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's saying, I and you. He's saying, this is who I am and this is who you are. He's trying to make it, he's saying, look, you're not the vine. You're not the one where the source of life comes from. I am that. I am the vine. When you think about the vine in a vineyard, you've got to think of about a stump that comes out of the ground, about stops about here. It's a root stock. It's not all those long traily things that go down the trellises. That's the branch. Okay? All those branches, just they connect into that root stock. You can take 
Chardonnay branches and you can click them in and you can on the other side you can put a, a Cabernet grape on the other one. You can put a, a Zinfandel and a you know, I don't know, maybe you can do a Thompson seedless, but you can put different grapes on that vine. The stump, the stem. That's Jesus. You're the branches. And he says, My father's the gardener. There's there's an authority structure in God's vineyard. He's saying, I am superintending superintending over all of this. And he is in charge. And God wants to bless the world with the fruit of his vineyard. And if you're a branch, as I see many of you probably are, if not all, he manages you. He manages the vineyard. He manages his church for maximum fruitfulness. How? How does he do that? Verse 2 says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Notice what the gardener, again, that's God, Father God. Notice what he does. He cuts and he prunes. Two things, cuts and he prunes. Why? This is how the gardener maximizes the fruitfulness of the vineyard. Now, notice also there's two types of branches. There's branches that have fruit and there's branches that have no fruit. Last week, we saw this principle at work. And it was this. That in Christ, fruitfulness isn't just possible, but it's inevitable. So then why, Pastor, would some have fruit and some not? I'm glad you asked. It's important to remember what it means to be in Christ. Because to be in Christ means that your connection to the vine is not just a mechanical one. It's not a casual one. For fruit to develop, your connection to the vine must be intentional, transformational, and I would add relational. There is a desperate connection to the vine. We were illustrating that today as we raised our hands to the Lord. We're saying, Daddy God, you're the one. I need you. I'm reaching up and taking hold. Many years ago, I had uh, in my backyard in Federal Way a bunch of raspberry bushes. And uh, every year I would trim them back. And, uh, and then in the spring, the shoots would come up and we'd have, you know, blossoms and then berries and all that. One year, I saw this one, it was early in the spring, and I saw this one shoot coming up. It was a new branch. And I was really excited because it was long. It had this, it was just, it was probably eight feet long, and it was very, very thick. You know, for raspberries, at least thicker than my, my thumb, which was pretty large for a raspberry bush. At first I thought it was a blackberry bush, but it, it wasn't. It was part of the raspberries. And I got really excited, so I thought, this is going to be the, the foundation for the fruit for this next year. This is going to be the biggest branch. So I, I trained it up. I, I, I held it up with some wire and, and tried to support it because I was sur- sure that this thing was going to be filled with fruit coming in the spring. And I noticed that as the spring went along that uh, the, the, the blossoms came and the fruit came everywhere except on that branch. It's like, what a waste of time. See, when it comes to a relationship with Jesus, I believe what Jesus is illustrating in this is that some of us, some people are all leaves and no fruit. They do Christian things, go to Christian places, read Christian Stuff, sing Christian songs, and yet they have some leaves 
but no fruit. A good example of this was uh, probably the difference between Judas and Peter. You know, Judas and Peter both had a, a close connection with Jesus. They walked with him for three years. Both were connected to the vine, but only one branch, the branch named Peter, had a connection to the vine which transformed Peter. Their connection was very different. Peter had fruit. Judas did not. And so it leads us to a question, I think. And it's this. Why then is, so, is fruitfulness so important? I think it's illustrated here. Skipping to verse 8, Jesus said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And I see three things here, three reasons why fruitfulness is so important. Because number one, fruitfulness brings glory to God. Do you see that? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. See, God smiles when the character of Christ and the works of Christ begin to develop in you. And you begin to think like Jesus and talk like Jesus and love like Jesus and give like Jesus and, and do nice things to people like Jesus does, to, to heal, to pray, to reach out, to go out, to extend. And it brings glory to God. It makes God smile. That's my boy. That's my girl. It also is this, that fruitfulness is a confirmation for each one of us that, that we're actually a disciple. You see, it's that thing. It's the presence. Hear, hear me, please. The presence of fruit doesn't make you a disciple. It just reveals that the life of the vine is flowing through you. Now, as I say this, I think it's natural for us to ask, do I have fruit? And I, and I think most of us are a little self-conscious when it comes to our relationship with God. And we see other people and their fruitfulness and, and we don't feel all that fruity. <laughs> you say it that way, maybe it's a good thing. Um, and... <laughs> But I think if you looked at the course of your life as you walked with Jesus, there's fruit. But the key is here not to look for fruit. Don't get focused on the fruit. Because you'll get distracted. See, your responsibility, my responsibility is this, and that is just to stay connected to the vine. Hold on, baby. That's our job. You know, the fruit business... That's God's job. That's going to develop as a result of our connection to the vine, a connection to Jesus Christ. Then fruit comes. Our willing fruit to come, you know, our begging God to give us fruit, doesn't necessarily, but connecting to the vine. Of course, we ask him for it, but please make sure you're connected. Because that's how the fruit develops. It's, the third thing is this, that it's the world's confirmation that you're a disciple. It's the world's confirmation that we're disciples. They see that you're different because of your relationship to the vine. My uncle John went to his house as a kid every year, um, and we had dinner at his house. And my uncle John is a great, great farmer. He's still alive. I think he's like 90. He's old. Er than me. And um, 
We sat down to eat, and he served some vegetables. He served us um, fresh sweet corn and some tomatoes. And immediately it was like they filled the plate. You know, the, the corn is just huge, you know, like this long and like this big around. I mean, one ear is like a whole meal for six, you know, and it's like amazing. Now, I knew that that year my Uncle John didn't have a garden. And so I had this look on my face and my Uncle John recognized it. And he goes, yeah, it's not from my garden. I go, I know it because I've only seen that kind of fruit in one place. My granddad's garden. I mean, he had genetic freak fruit. I mean, this stuff was amazing. Zucchini the size of pigs. Maybe I'm overstating it a little. But I mean, as a kid, I just remember seeing this stuff. And I had only seen that kind of fruit in one place. That was in Grandpa's garden. My Uncle Johnny goes, yep, they're from Grandpa's place. I'm like, yeah, tell me something I don't know. I know where that comes from. I've never seen it except for there because Grandpa is the most amazing gardener. You see, when people see and taste the kind of fruit that God produces in you, they're amazed. And they know because it's God's fruit working in you that you didn't get it by your talent and good looks and hard work. Because the character of Christ you can't get by trying hard. You can only get it by a connection to the vine. Fruit doesn't develop by accident. doesn't it doesn't happen by accident and it takes a lot of pruning and cutting it takes a lot of pruning and cutting now if you're new to life spring maybe in the last year you may not have heard the story of the lilac bush some of you are groaning because you've heard it before but i think if you're going to be experienced life spring you have to hear the lilac story because as uh as I say this, I, I just have fear rising up because I did something really stupid. Like I said, bad decisions make really good stories. My wife's favorite plant in the backyard was a 10-foot lilac bush that had these incredible blooms. I say had in the past tense intentionally. Just amazing. And uh, one weekend, she had to go out of town. And I needed some exercise. I didn't want to go to the gym, but I had what some may describe as an irresponsible relationship with my chainsaw. And so I had some exercise to do with my chainsaw. So I started cutting trees and I started cutting, you know, blackberries and whatever was alive. I wanted to kill it. And I thought, I'll just while I'm at this, I'll just prune the lilac bush. Prune I did. Avon comes home, looks out the kitchen window, shrieks, Honey, where's the lilac bush? I said, It's still there. She goes, Yeah, two inches of it. I said, No, I think there's at least three. She looked at me. You didn't. Yeah, I did. I don't think that thing produced lilacs for four years. Things just about died. When God prunes, He doesn't use a chainsaw. 
Can someone say amen? But then there's a question is, how does the gardener decide what to to cut off and what to prune back? Well, there's an evaluation that takes place. He evaluates the relationship of the branch to the vine. And he does that by looking at two things. Is there fruit or is there no fruit? And if there's no fruit, then the natural consequence is this, that the vine excuse me, that the branch must have a superficial connection. Again, all leaves and no fruit. But if there's some fruit, it's already there. There's evidence that there's already a vital connection to the vine. When Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and asked him a whole bunch of theological questions, Jesus just said, no, here's your problem. You need to be born again. And it blew Nicodemus away. It just didn't make any sense to him. And this is the same principle that... Jesus is illustrating here that the life of God is going to come and penetrate the branch. It's going to infiltrate a life by the Holy Spirit. When we say, Jesus, you're my Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in us, fills us. That's where Jesus said, I will be in you. I was with you, and now I will be in you. And it freaked the disciples out. It didn't make any sense. And so then he gives them this illustration of the vine and the branches. He says, huh, you want to know what it means? Here's a vine, and here's a branch. I'm this, you're that. And he says, connect to me. So how do I know if my connection is a vital one? How do I know if it's the kind of connection that's going to lead to fruit? Last Sunday, we saw two things. Number one is that we know that I have, we have a relationship with the vine when, when, when we remain in his love. We remain in his love. And this is my love for God. This is our love to God. When you think about your school, if you're a student, maybe in high school or junior high or middle school, or maybe your workplace, maybe you're in college, or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and the ladies in the street, you guys get together and all that. But have you noticed that our world is a bit cynical and hateful and in many ways dark? I know there's great light out there as well. There's, there's joy and there's all those things, but... Let's just face it, there's a contrast between the spirit that is here and then the spirit that we experience during the week. Right? There is. There's a big difference. It seems to me that it should be fairly easy shouldn't be that difficult to stand out as one who is filled with the love of God in such a dark, cynical, angry world. If we're just a little bit even connected to the vine. So we know that we're connected when we have, uh, when we are remaining in his love. It's also when we obey his commands. We obey his commands. And we obey his commands not as one that's looking for loopholes. You know, how much can I get away with? But it's, 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 it's. Because I love you so much, it's, it's, I'm, I'm trying to find new ways to, satisfy, to, to, to please you and make you smile. That's the heart. That's the attitude. And so for the branches that have a vital connection, and I would gather that's probably most of us this morning, we need to understand a few things about the pruning process. First, I just want to say this.
If you don't want to be pruned, if you don't want to be pruned, you don't want to be a Christian. I really mean that. If you don't want to be pruned, you don't want to be a Christian. Because what you really want is to grow out on your own, go wild and crazy, do your own thing. Many of us have been there, done that. You got the t-shirt to prove it, right? And you know what? When we do that, we have fruit. And some of us, lots of fruit from that kind of a lifestyle. But it won't be the character of Christ. And it won't be the works of Christ. It's another kind of fruit. But if you want the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about, if you want that kind of fruit, we've got to abide in the vine. We've got to connect. And if you want a bunch of that fruit, you want a whole boatload of that fruit, you want to be crazy fruitful, then do this. Get ready to be pruned. Get ready to be pruned. And the question is, what kind of a branch are you this morning? I think we're all maybe in different places. Maybe you're the wild one who's growing wherever you want to go. Maybe... I would ask you this question. Are you satisfied with the kind of fruit that you're getting in your life? Is that really working for you? Maybe, maybe you've got a superficial connection. You know the songs here at church. You know, you, you know the Christian phrases. You maybe even know your Bible. But in your heart of hearts, you don't want to pray. You just, you, you, you like church, but... You don't understand yet what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And you want to know, maybe, right? I hope so. See, God isn't out there waiting for you to, to get some mystical truth. He's just waiting for you to surrender and say, I want to connect. Maybe, maybe you've got a vital connection. And it's going to lead to fruitfulness. I would imagine there's many of us here. In fact, I know there are. Because I've been the benefit of some of your fruitfulness. And if you're one of those that you, you've got a connection to the vine, maybe there's an emergence of fruit. You can see something started. Maybe you're not really sure how much is there. But if you want more fruit, then listen to this. If a coach, if you were to come to a coach and ask for help, what is he going to do? He's going to tell you to run more laps, right? If a child gets in trouble and mom and dad get involved, what do they do? They discipline, right? I was lifting weights the other day and my arms were screaming and the trainer said, give me 10 more reps right now. I said, no, I'll do it in 10 minutes. <laughs> he said, no, now. And I'm <laughs> and my arms are going like this. And when the gardener wants more fruit, he wants more fruitful branches in his vineyard. What does he do? Prunes it. But if you ask the branch what he did, some of us might say, huh. The gardener attacked me with that cold, hard steel. I'm bleeding all over the place. I mean, let's get real. I don't think if you've ever felt that way, you're not really honest with God. Because I look around the room and I see people who've been pruned way more than me. Your pruning scares me. Because I think God has way more faith in you than me. Some of you have suffered loss that I, I just, I haven't, I can't explain. I, I'm, I'm just, oh Lord. And, and I think He's got something for you that He just, that I'm not ready for. And I just love that about what He's doing in each one of us. It's so different. 
And there's three things, the branches we need to understand about the pruning process. Because remember, to maximize fruitfulness, he's going to do these things. Number one is he gonna, he's going to prune with precision. God prunes with precision. Not with a chainsaw. And there's, there's no random, randomness about it. When I hacked my lovely wife's now infamous lilac bush, it wasn't with precision. It was a chainsaw, and I nearly killed it. This is how he prunes with such precision. Catch this. When God prunes, he removes only those things that when cut away, it results in gain for the vineyard. Let me say that again. He removes only the things that when cut away, there's going to be a resulting gain for the vineyard. And secondly, he leaves only those things intact that if they were cut away, the vineyard would somehow suffer a loss. You see, he knows what to keep and he knows what to take. My grandfather's orchard was an amazing place as a kid. My other grandfather, my mom's dad, Grandpa Mac. Apples and uh, cherries. Oh, amazing memories. And as a little kid, the youngest of six boys, I could water the trees. Anyone could do that job. Do you know, anyone could fertilize the trees. In fact, almost anyone could pick the cherries or pick the apples. It didn't require a lot of skill. It just required the ability to not fall off a ladder, which I hadn't mastered all that well. But when it came to the pruning process, they weren't going to let an eight-year-old kid have one second with the pruning shears. Because that's a job that's required for a skilled professional. Because there is nothing more powerful to do to an orchard or a vineyard that's going to maximize the yield of fruit. You see, the thing that you prune in one season, and if it's done skillfully, it is going to affect the yield of the fruit in the next season. Have you ever seen an apple tree or an apple orchard or a cherry orchard or at full ripe when it's just beautiful in the summer? I love, I just remember the cherries at my grandpa's place. Oh, these giant Black. I've never seen them since. These beings. They were just... And you could walk through and the whole valley just smelled like fruit. And the sun, well, I could just see the sun shining through and the leaves green. And it's almost surreal to me. and such a sweet, wonderful memory. I love that. Most of the time I visited my grandpa, it was in the summer or in the spring when it was beautiful. One year I came at the late fall, early winter, just after the prune, just after they had done the job. It looked like a holocaust. Trees, I mean, branches all over the ground, open wounds bleeding all over the place. Not pretty. But unbelievably, incredibly necessary. Because he prunes the good to produce the best. It's very possible that the one branch that produced the most in one season is the branch that maybe get cut the most that next season. So that in the future it can produce more fruit and be able to stand the weight of it. Because if, if fruit develops on a branch or a vine that is too small for it, it will break the branch. It will cause damage and it will actually hurt the vineyard or the orchard. 
He prunes the good to produce the best. Why? Well, here's this. You see, the good branch, the good branch is the enemy of the best branch. Some fruit is the enemy of more fruit. I look around and I see people that have some fruit. We all do if we love Jesus for even a minute. If you want more fruit, there's going to be some cutting and there's going to be more fruit in a season that's going to come. But there may be something that the Lord is wanting to do in you to prepare you for that. I've been pruned a few times. I can't say I've liked any of them. But do you know what happens when a branch is cut, when it's cut back? Do you know why it produces more fruit? Here's the reason. You see, he prunes to challenge the branch to draw upon the vine like never before. That's why he cuts it back. To increase the dependence upon him. Two of my most memorable prunings, one was when my family moved between my sophomore and junior year of high school to, from San Jose where I grew up to Oregon where I went to a, another high school. And if you've ever been moved in the middle of your high school years as a teenager, you, you know, you think your life is over because your social structure has just been eliminated and just it's been a holocaust, you know. And I went to a school where I knew nobody. And I remember the pain of that season, trying to be a good little boy and following my parents, but in many ways, when it first started, just hating every minute of it. Probably my most painful pruning was when I got fired from a really well-paying job. Had a family, a mortgage, kids, bills to pay. My boss said, your services are no longer required. And what I felt in that moment was as if my future in life was no longer secured. My identity was cut away. My income was cut away. My professional network was cut away. I cried. I fussed. I worried. I complained. And you know, when that didn't work, I did something really crazy. I prayed. Desperate prayers. Oh God, what are you doing to me? When are you going to show yourself? When are you going to come through? How am I going to ever find a job? What is my future going to be like? How, how am I going to take care of my family? What am I supposed to do now? And it was in that season that God called me to plant a church. You see, before that time, I had some fruit. And I liked that fruit. People even admired the fruit that I had. It was good fruit. But you know, when I was 17 and I got baptized and connected to the vine, I put myself in the hands of the gardener. And he's not satisfied with just some fruit when he knows the potential of a branch that is capable of so much more fruit. I mean, it would be irresponsible of a God who loves us to let us squander in mediocrity when He has so much that He wants to do in us and through us and for us. 
And so he pruned me back to a little indistinguishable nub, it felt like. And he used my boss to do it. I got fired. I bled. I struggled. And I struggled for a couple of really long years. And at first, well, something happened in that season. Something started to develop. At first, it was just a little bud, a little nib, a little idea. Then all of a sudden, it kind of got a blossom. See a little flower showing up. And then all of a sudden, there's this branch that's sort of emerging, coming out where it was cut. And this idea started to grow stronger. A fruit started to develop. You know what that fruit was? He was forming in me the character of Christ that would be necessary to do the works of Christ. And you know what that work is? It's this. I didn't know I was going to plant a church in the early 90s. I had no idea, but it took a decade for him to get a hold of my attention and get me to draw upon him in such a way. And in many ways, you are a part of that fruitfulness that God is doing in us, in, in me, and, in, in, and it's just, it's, it's, I'm still, I'm amazed that people show up on Sunday. You know, it's like, if you only knew who I was. That's my story. Yours is different. Yours is unique. You know, we're connected to the same vine, but you're a different branch. You've got a different story. You were made to produce different fruit, unique, beautiful fruit. How's God pruning you? Have you been away from the shears? Like, no, I'm not doing that. You play this little game with Caleb. It's funny. He, he has this shirt, and he'll have it sit down, and I showed him if he hides his hand like this, do a little magic trick. And we go, look, abracadabra, whew. He's just, he's a year old. He thinks it's really cool. Grandpa's really smart. And so he'll try it, you know, and he'll, he'll do this and he'll, like this, and his hand will come out and he'll laugh. Look, it just it appeared. My hand just came out of the middle of nowhere. And he just thinks he's so cool and so smart, and he is. But I think when it comes to the gardener coming and wanting to prune his branches, I think some of us are pulling in like this. And we're not wanting to get too close to the steel. And so that raises a question, how then do we respond when we go through that process? It's not an easy one, but there's three simple things, and they're just these. Number one is learn. Learn why you were cut. It's not, oh God, why me? It's, what are you doing? What's the purpose by this? What's the thing going on? And, and I think sometimes why me, after we get through that initial emotion of the pain of the loss, it then, I think, uh, simmers down sometimes, hopefully, into why are you doing this right now? Is there some purpose after we get through the painful initial emotions? Learn and ask the gardener, Lord, what, what, why are you cutting me here? What is it about this place in my life that you want to cut back? Number two, trust is judgment. Trust is judgment. You know, when a loving parent tells a teenager that they can't go to the party where all the cool kids are on Friday night, 
How does the teenager respond? Well, the teenager probably responds, Oh, mom and dad, I, I know that you're wise and wonderful. Much wiser than me. I'd be happy to stay home with you on Friday night and watch reruns of Little House on the Prairie. Can I make the popcorn? Apples? No, that's not what they say. You're a cruel dictator. You're the killer of my life. You're going to be responsible for my social dysfunction and you better pay my psychological bills when I have to go have therapy for the rest of my life. It's on your head. You're ruining everything. Some of you have had a teenager and you've heard almost those exact words. Some of you are poking your teenager right now. But we've all been that teenager, right? Yeah, we have. Is it possible that the parent has a little different perspective than the child? Is it possible that God might know something a little bit more than the branch that he's pruning? Is it possible? Of course. It's not just possible. It's actually the truth. Catherine Johnson, she, she's actually in the hospital this morning. and She uh, wrote a poem. She's a member of our church here. And I love there's one phrase in it. It says that the branch sees only leaves, but the gardener sees the whole vineyard once so when we suffer loss of something or someone we just got to trust in the judgment of the gardener and it's easy to say and anyone who's been pruned knows it's very difficult to do come on just stay connected to the vine stay connected maintain that connection And third, just obey Him and cling to the vine. When that knife cuts, cling to the vine. Hold on. Some of you have been in a season where the Lord has been pruning. And maybe you're in a season today where you're coming back and you're clinging to the vine. You know, in a couple weeks, we're going to have a baptismal service. Do you know why we do baptism? We do baptism because people are first time are coming back to cling to the vine. And they're wanting to say publicly, look, I'm in the vineyard. God, is, His life is flowing through me and I want to I identify with His life and, and the, His resurrection and, and the death that He had and I'm going I'm to die to self and I, I want to connect to the vine. Some of us, you've maybe not been baptized or it's been a long time and you're in, you've walked away from the Lord and you now want to reconnect. I want to encourage you. Come talk after service. Talk to somebody. Be a part of that. That's part of obeying His commands because He's, he's asked us, not just asked us, He's commanded us to be baptized. That lilac bush I was telling you about? Don't pay attention to what my wife tells you. It's my story and I get to tell it. You, you heard how I pruned that sucker, right? Chainsaw. Massacre. Do you know that it was year three or four? That thing grew back. And it had more blossoms on it than it had ever had before. And I shook to my honey and I said, Honey, see, I'm vindicated. I knew what I was doing all along. 
You couldn't hear what she just said, and that's probably a good thing. But she said we had already moved. There's a point, and it's just simply this. That if a knothead like me can use a chainsaw like that and get results out of a lilac bush like that with that kind of random gross chainsaw massacre type pruning. Imagine what God can do in your life with precision, loving care in the right place at the right time with a cooperative branch. You want to talk about fruit? I just can't wait to see what he's going to do in you. It's amazing. Some of you have no clue yet. And it's so cool. You're going to hear about it and God's going to be starting to do something. You go, whoa, where'd that come from? Ha <laughs> ha, it came from the vine, baby. You're connected. As we come to the communion this morning, I think no, no other more profound way to really illustrate the life of the vine See, the Lord Jesus, was a, uh, we aren't the only ones that were cut, the branches that is. The Lord Jesus, the vine himself was cut. In fact, the gardener allowed the vine to be chopped down, to bleed, and to be killed. But it sprang, he sprang back to life. We know that. And now any branch that wants to draw upon the life of the vine, he grafts you in. He connects you. Do you know when they make a graph, they, they, they take a, a branch and they cut it at the terminal end. And then they cut the vine. Both things cut. In the lifeblood, they connect together with a band, with a glue, with a tape. And the branch begins to, to suck life, literally, from the vine. So by receiving the bread this morning, we're remembering the sturdy vine that was cut, the body of Christ. And by receiving the grape juice this morning, you're saying that I want to draw life. I want to draw life from the vine, the spiritual lifeblood of Christ, that it would flow through me. And I want to invite you this morning receive communion we're, we're going to in just a second I'm going to have you get up and, and, and you can come and receive it here and I just take it back to your seat and this is what I want you to do I want you to receive it when you're ready okay you're going to do I'm not going to lead us into a corporate you know here's the bread and here's the cup and all that this is your time with the Lord okay and you just worship him I will remind you, there's, uh, if you're new with us, there's two cups that are stacked together. The, the cracker is in the bottom and the juice is in the top. I'm going to invite us to do this just so that we don't hurt each other on the way. Uh, we want to go out this way, okay? And then I'll, so when you, when you get up, you want to get up, go out that way and come through the center, take the communion, and then go back this way. All right? Let's go ahead and receive.